And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. It's KYT with Ellie and Andy. And we got I got to say, we're sponsored by FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. This week, we got 15% off all singles from the unsets, except the new one, Unsanctioned. That's coming out this Friday. So if you haven't checked out the cards, if you haven't heard about the set, now's the time you can check it out. To we have all the singles up, and of course um, the sealed products as well, unsanctioned this Friday. Today's show, super super special guest, returning guest, returning guest, but someone that just recently finished second at DreamHack Anaheim, Mr. Sabgaze, Manny Davuti. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I am super. I, I'm like Andy. Really happy to hear your voice. Really happy to hear your voice. Um, Elliot, how do you feel? How do you feel today? Uh, I feel like I love magic. And <laughs> I, I love gathering. And that's what we're talking about today. Both of those. <laughs> what about you, Andy? In good spirits as well? Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day, Carl. <laughs> All right. Uh, I would... I was asking uh, last week. I was asking Pascal Menard if he had interest. Like he was the first one who was tweeting about the DreamHack events. Uh, one of the people on my feed, and I checked it out. I'm like, holy crap! Maximum 300, 350 players. Look at the prize pool. This is insane. But then I look at the flights and the time that would need to take me from Montreal there. It didn't make sense for for either of us to really want to go. Uh, Manny, where are your, did you hear about this event? Uh I think when it first got announced, um, I've been to DreamHack before uh, for a different game, but when it first got announced, I saw um, people posting about it, and I saw a few of the streamers and online players were excited and responding to the event. And as soon as I thought, I was like, oh my god, this this looks like everything I've ever wanted in a magic sense. So I just immediately made note of it and started telling people about it, like, hey, are you going to go to this? Like, this looks awesome. And what was uh, the interest uh, from people around you? Did you go with uh, by yourself with friends? Uh, I went with a friend from Vancouver, and I know another few um, local people went. But for the most part, my planning was um, just for myself and the friend I went with. Uh, I knew there were going to be people that were going to be there, and I know... Um, some people that were planning on going that didn't end up actually making it, but I didn't really try to get a group together or anything. What was, so let's, let's get right to it. What was your prep, uh, to this event? Have you been consistently playing a lot of magic since we last have had you on? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> last time I was here was in 2017. And since then I've actually been playing the least magic in my life since, uh, I started, but I went to a few PTs uh, during that time, just random qualifications and stuff, and that was fun. And then for the last year or so, I've been working full-time and just that kind of reinforced my hiatus from Magic. But every once in a while, I get the itch, and I play some on Arena, and uh, I'm working as a tournament organizer, so I host Magic events, and I cast them, and that kind of keeps me in the loop of things and just by casting the events i have some knowledge of what's going on in standards at all times 
So my connection to the game is still there, even if I'm not playing it as much as I used to. So how did you? What? How much did you play and to decide on the deck that you brought? Uh, so through random uh, Magic Arena playing, I had found myself qualified for the Mythic um, Invitational qualifier last month, and. In wanting to pick up a deck for that, I decided to pick up Jessica Fires because it looked like it would be my type of deck. And uh, I played it a bit, and the event did not go that well, but I really liked the deck. Um, and when I decided to go to DreamHack, I was like, okay, I'll start preparing with different decks. There's a new format out now. Saros is out. And I started playing Jessica again just as my starting point because I had it built. And the more I played it on ladder, the more I just could not lose. Like, everybody around me... <laughs> The deck was really falling off. People weren't playing it as much. Everybody was all about blue-white and Team of Reclamation and Monterey. And I was just there playing my Jeff guy. And I got ranked one on ladder with it. And I was just consistently winning. And my plan was leading up to the event to test different decks. But I just couldn't stop winning. So there just didn't seem to be a point in me testing different decks. Uh, so even though... In the last week after Worlds, I was really waffling and panicking, like, oh, man, maybe I should be playing blue-white. Maybe it's just too good not to play. Um, a few friends kind of convinced me that I've just put all these games in with Jeskai, and regardless of the other results, I've had good results. So I just stick with what I know, and I stuck with what I knew. Well, perfect. Uh, like you mentioned, DreamHack isn't new to you. Did you have any expectation as to how well this tournament was going to be organized when you first arrived? And how did it play out in terms of organization? Uh, uh, in terms of organization, uh, my last experience with DreamHack was also for a card game. So I had some idea of what to expect if there was going to be no involvement from like wizards, and I expected the event would more or less follow the same style, which I think was well run, but a little chaotic for what magic players are used to. Um, and I would say that really applies to this event as well, was it was really well run, uh, huge props to the team. But there were some aspects that just when you think of the normal magic event experience, you would not get i think that may have that lack of available information may have been off-putting to a lot of people considering the flight i'm actually working on an article doing kind of an event recap of what i think they did really well and what i think they could improve on for the next dream hack and that should be up sometime this week but i do think it would be valuable for people to kind of get an inside look at what the event was like when they're making the decision to go to dallas for the next one uh, where where are you going to be? Where can people see that in a week or whenever it's published? Uh, that article will be published on thegamingstadium.com. dot uh, They are my employers and sponsors, and uh, that is where people can find it. Sweet. Is there is there one thing you can mention that they did like really bad or, or sort of bad? Uh, I think the biggest thing I would say that needs to be fixed was the price structure. Um, I told this to them as well at the event and they admitted it was an oversight. But essentially what they originally planned the event as was a Swiss into a cut to top eight single elimination. 
um, and the price structure for the event made sense for that. But at some point, they decided to switch the event to a top to six, cut to top 16 double elimination. And a double elimination bracket works vastly differently to a single elimination top eight bracket. So they did not change the prize payout structure uh, given that change. And what the result was, was in double elimination, instead of just having the thresholds of third, fourth being the same, fifth through eighth being the same, et cetera, you actually have different breakdowns. So uh, you have 13th through 16th, and then a match win puts you at 9th through 12th, a match win puts you at 7th through 8th, so on and so forth. But with the prize structure, half of the wins in the top 16 were just meaningless because there was no prize bump going from 13th to 16th okay. to 9th through 12th. Uh, and the same applied to going from 4th to 3rd. There was no prize jump, even though it's an insanely important match. Uh, so it made it. So if you won the first match and lost the second, you ended up walking away with nothing, and that's a horrible feeling for a tournament. Wow, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, on, on Twitter, there was some tw- tweets about like how many players would eventually show up. Was it your expectation based on how excited you felt people around you were about the event or any advertising you saw online? Um, I think a big deal was made that there were roughly, what was it, 90 to 100-ish players? Yeah, there were 92 players. My expectation going into the event was there would be around 200. I thought there was about 0% chance for the event to cap given the advertising and the way it had kind of been approached. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously my estimation was still too high. I thought there would be more people that were there for DreamHack. Uh, and because the event was free to participate in, if you had a DreamHack pass, I expected we would get more people that were just casual MTGA players that would just take half of their Friday or whatever to participate in the event. And that didn't really happen. Um, but yeah, definitely under what I expected, even though uh, my expectation was still low. Right. Elliot, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you pick pick his brain on 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 standard. <laughs> yeah, so I, I also I played a, a PTQ over the weekend with Jessica Fires as well, and uh, I, I had I saw your list going into it, but man, it, it was so wild compared to what other people had going on. I didn't really, I guess the word is trust, like the Oketra and stuff. So I don't know if if you don't mind taking a bit to explain maybe some of your card choices, specifically the Oketra and the extra Brazen Borrowers. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, so coming out of Worlds, Blue-White was the number one deck. Uh, but if we ignore Blue-White, what Worlds really did was bring Jeff Guy Fires back to um, the forefront of people's radar. Uh, as well as Red being popular, Team Rec being popular, those are kind of the primary decks in the format. Oketra is not good against Blue-White at all preface this with that but against a lot of the decks where you're trying to race where you just need fast damage Oketra does that like no other card in standard just because combined with the red cavalier on turn five it's just 20 damage uh very cleanly but also it's this ability to just output more damage than your opponent can handle either by going wide against decks that are trying to do 
junk stuff, cav- like green cavalier stuff, like the blue green wrath sets, where suddenly your attacks are shut down with one or two creatures, and you're not a deck that goes wide very well. Oketra kind of helps you overcome that. So it's a card that's a really powerful one of just to give you both the ability to go up in damage and wide on the board. Um, so when I was doing my testing, I was really impressed by how it was able to offer that. I considered cutting it a few times, but it, in the matchups where it was good, it was very good. And there were matchups that you really needed a damage burst. As far as the Brazen Borrowers go, it's a cheap, aggressive threat. Um, it's interaction in a deck that doesn't really have much interaction. Uh, once you start cutting Brazen Borrowers, you really only have Teferi for dealing with what your opponent does, and I ended up adding the Elspeth Conquers death, death to my deck as well. Um, but Brazen Bar is just a card that really does what Jeskai wants it to do in interacting, presenting a threat. Uh, the damage output is real once you have a Red Cavalier out as well. And it's a rogue, so it works with uh, Robber of the Rich out of the sideboard, which is kind of a nice added bonus. I guess that, that actually kind of segues very well. Thank you. Um... For me, like one of the big breakout things from Worlds was obviously Jeskai Fires, like you mentioned, but specifically Robber of the Rich. I, I think it went from like $2 to like $10. Everyone had four copies in their sideboard, whether they were mono, red, Jeskai Fires, uh, the Teamer decks as well. Um, but I, I, it seems to me like in Jeskai Fires, people are going between Robber and Tithe Taker. And obviously you had the full four Robber. So are you firmly in that camp or do you think that... Um, like, is is it the real deal, essentially? Or is Tithe Taker a better option? It's definitely the real deal. Uh, I actually had Tithe Taker up until Wednesday before the event. Like, it was... The original deck submission deadline was Wednesday at 6 p.m. PST. And I think at around 4.30 was when I changed the Tithe Takers to Robber of the Rich. And then we got an extra 24 hours, and I had more time to play with them, and that kind of cemented how I was feeling. Um... Before Worlds, Robber wasn't really on people's radar. Uh, I believe Nassif, who played it at Worlds, said that he had gotten the tech from JRR, who was a Magic streamer on Twitch. He streams Arena. He finished rank one last season with Jeskai with Robber of the Rich in a sideboard. And I think the real breaking point for me was the way the blue white list from Worlds boarded against Jeskai was it went down on counterspells. Um, to go for more of a proactive game plan with Archons and Elspeth Conquers Deaths and Dream Trawlers. And in that kind of matchup where they're cutting their counterspells, Tidesaker loses a lot of its value. Whereas Robber, because of the haste, because of the fact that it can give you access to their powerful cards, it just lets you be in the game like Tidesaker doesn't. Okay, that that does make a lot of sense. So I guess... uh the note from Manny here is that if you're playing Just Guy Fires this weekend, is is spend your forty dollars on robbers. I would definitely recommend it. <laughs> um, man, uh, did the wins come pretty easily for you, uh, Manny? Because you you had such a good deck, or and did you feel the pressure, especially with more and more money on the line as the tournament progressed for you? Um, I wouldn't say the wins came easily. But given the quality of the field, I definitely had an easier run than most. Um, I wouldn't say I faced 
any notable opponents until round five of the first day where I faced Alan Wu. Um, and throughout the rest of the day after day one, I definitely faced some tough competition and a lot of matches where I had to work for it. A lot of times where I lost just because my deck didn't really perform as well as I needed to, or my draws were bad and definitely some bad play on my part. Um, there were some sloppy games, but the pressure was getting to me on day three, especially because like I said, half the matches weren't for any prize jump. So after winning a match, all that was on my mind was if I lose the next one, <laughs> uh, there's nothing came of that last win. Right. And the prize jumps in this event were extremely severe. Like the jump from top 16 to top eight was $2,300. The jump from top eight to top four was $4,000. Uh, the jump from top four to top two was $7,000. So each time you have one of those big pay jumps on the line, it, it was definitely like, oh man, this is a match I need to win. Are you a fan of this type of structure? Or do you like it to be more smooth? I I definitely think if they're going to continue doing top 16 double eliminations, they need to fix it. So the prize payouts are different. Um, for each um, finish, as it were, in the top 16 double in. And I think they will. I think rather than an intentional choice for this one, it was something that kind of slipped everyone's mind until it was too late um, to change it. Uh, I do like top-heavy tournaments. I think it it's obviously tough if you're not used to competing for that much. Like, I'm not used to competing for that much because... <laughs> the amount of money can be um, a little overwhelming, but I think it's good for Magic to have this type of event and have an open event where people can compete for that level of money. Like even in Grand Prix, the numbers don't reach anywhere that high. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to circle back quickly uh, to you, Elliot, quickly. How was, how do you think your field was for your, uh, your, uh, Qualifier final. I uh, in terms of the caliber of the field. Uh, I think that obviously, like the high end nosebleed talent that <laughs> used to show up to some of the PTQs wasn't exactly there. Like, you know, back in the day, PTQs you'd have players that were legitimately chaining together PTs off of just PTQs, or maybe they were silver and you know the invite they earned one or two invites a year from PTQs. Um, but you know, there's there's going to be like three or four, sometimes even more players at events these size. You know, when it's only 32 players, it kind of works out to almost the same ratio of really good players that you're going to have to beat to to win one of these PTQs. And you know, obviously, it's not the huge slog of nine rounds plus a cut the top eight. Um, it's kind of more spread out over two days when you count the prelims in a lot of these cases. But I don't know. I, I, you know, I was kind of joshing with Andy. It kind of made him look dumb to call them free TQs. And I, I think they're not quite at the free status, but um, are they easier than RPTQs? Probably. I That's kind of my, my evaluation after playing a few of them. I heard there's only 30 players because Dave Schneer uh, already qualified by some other means. And then one, another player forgot his deck, which is a shame that you qualified by another tournament only to to forget your deck on the day of the final. 
Yeah, but he, he collected his um, cryptic command promo. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. True. True. True that. That's his value. <laughs> that is value. Um, but Elliot, anything you want to talk about in terms of standard extra? Uh, do you think that Jeskai fires is good for next week? Because I'm sure people are playing more of these WPNQs coming up. There's still a bit more time in the season. Is it a good choice going forward, Manny, you think? Honestly, right now, I feel like Jessica Fires is not a good choice. I think the blue-white matchup, while not being that unfavored, is still unfavored. And there's more decks becoming popular that are bad matchups, like the Teamer Clover deck, uh, and especially the Bat deck that's uh, kind of been popularized by Crokies, is, I think, just an awful matchup for Jessica. And right now, those decks are kind of making up the majority of decks on ladder. And if that holds true for tournaments, like the Mythic Points Challenge, like uh, different WPNQs, um, I would not recommend just Skyfires uh, going forward from this point. Makes sense. Uh, Manny, what does this, does this mean anything for you in, in terms of how much you're going to play? Are you going to play the, the other dream hacks uh, that are coming up? Um, my plan is to try to go to the other dream hacks for sure. Uh, like I said, I work and I'm sponsored uh, by the gaming stadium and part of that um, running events is on the weekends. So it's not always a given that I'm going to be able to take a specific weekend off. Um, but considering they're my sponsors and I did do well at this event, it shouldn't be too hard to try to make it happen. Other than that, I'm not really planning on playing uh, more Magic. It's just not something that is in the cards for me right now would rather focus on work and um everything i'm already doing so like whenever it comes up you might jam a few games on arena like i imagine they're all going to be standard so um the week before and i may stream um once a week or so just to kind of keep the magic um going and try to put some content out there but overall definitely just going to be playing about as much magic as i do um or as i did before this event which is some games in the evening and that's about it i do want to ask you to talk about more about the the gaming stadium is it uh yeah because on my facebook feed pascal was one of the first ones who tried to do like start his own sort of arena circuit and i think you were the only other person on my feed like associated with some sort of arena event so i want to i want to hear more about it yeah i would love to um so the gaming stadium uh started in uh richmond british columbia this is our first location and what we are is essentially um an lgs uh or a community center um for esports so we do weeknight events for different games there's drop-ins like a land cafe and then on weekends we have uh, full organized tournaments for whatever game we're running on the week so i've definitely done some mtg arena ones but we also do counter-strike overwatch fortnite any major game you can think of uh we offer tournaments for and it's really trying to take um esports and gaming and incorporate the social aspects of in-person lands with them uh, and that's something that i just loved being a part of for the past year is doing that for the local community and we're 
working on getting more locations open across Canada in the next uh, year. So as more locations open, it's going to be really exciting to see how we can incorporate different uh, locations into events that are being held by one center. Hmm. I, I'm super curious. Is this started by someone you know, or you got you you saw a job posting and, and you got hired? Uh, one of the uh, people behind the company was somebody that I knew um, for a few years now. And when I first heard about the concept from them and what they were planning on doing, um, I was just immediately intrigued because it sounded like it sounded like the exact concept of LGSs, which I spent years at playing magic and really all my formative years that's where i met some of my best friends and that's where i played magic and kind of came up and this sounded like doing that for video games and it's something that i would have loved for it to exist when i was growing up and it just sounded like something i had to be a part of so i told them hey i know this is in the early stages but as this becomes more real i want to be a part of it however i can just let me know what i have to do and when it's going to happen and I'll make it happen and <laughs> things kind of progress from there. So you mentioned that you do some casting. Yeah. I what cast type of games? All of the arena events. Okay. Magic, of course. And how, uh, how often are they happening? Uh, so we try to do magic events once a month. Um, typically I advertise them in uh, the local groups whenever the events are live because you have to play in them in person, uh, not really something that uh, I advertise widespread, but um, part of running the events is we try to do uh, good production for them. And for Magic specifically, I feel like I'm qualified enough to cast games. For so sure. I generally cast the events and <laughs> sometimes have either players or other people um, co-casting with me, which is a lot of fun and really, adds that level of production that local events don't normally have, which I think the players really enjoy. It's one of the biggest pieces of feedback is how much the production adds to the event. Matt, I have so many curious questions for you just because uh, of this space, because we've talked about uh, me, Andy, Elliot, about a couple, many months ago when Esports Central first opened in Montreal, um, they marketed themselves as like the biggest esports complex in Canada at the time. Um, I imagine they still are. And I, I found it challenging for them to, to host arena tournaments um, because you're, you're going to have all these players or that just want to, you know, why can't I just participate by staying home? And then it takes someone uh, like, like Pascal, his arena super cup was putting a lot of prizes that were, were, is able to justify help justify people showing up and competing at these events and entry for a lot of them were, were free. So are you facing that same type of challenge? Are you doing these extra things that people appreciate, like the casting? Um, I, I'm super or, or the player base is more receptive to like showing up and playing an arena event. It, it's definitely a struggle um, to introduce a new style of event to people. Um, Magic players for the longest time have been so used to the only um, local competitive outlet to be paper magic. And 
there's definitely still uh, people that either don't play arena or aren't really receptive to the idea of arena events. But at the same time, the feedback from everybody that does come to the tournament is so overwhelmingly positive that I just feel like it would be a shame to not keep working on improving them and making them bigger and better. And I think as DreamHack and this type of event uh, keeps happening, it's one, going to raise people's interest in LAN arena tournaments, but two, I think it's going to increase uh, WOTC's support of these tournaments. I've been in talks with some people at WOTC about um, how we can kind of take these events to the next level. And one day I hope I can host qualifiers through MTG Arena. I don't know what the qualifier would be for, but I, I think it would be awesome to be able to do something like that. And I think that would really drive the interest because I think the biggest local events that people uh, prioritize showing up to are things that are qualifiers, things that you can't really get that prizing from anything else. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to search really quick. Um, I, I don't know if this is the last event you had. Jan January 4th, TGS Open Series featuring Magic Arena, $750 prize pool. Was this the last one? That was the last one, yeah. And this is a pr prize pool, assuming you, you get how many players? Uh, so the prize pools aren't really made with how many players we're going to get in mind. Uh, it's more that I offer what I think would be um, enticing to the players and what I think would be realistic for us to meet uh, in the future. So I think with the current um, structure that I had, if we get uh, 32 players, uh, we would be ecstatic. If we got 24 players, it would still be good. But it's really a matter of we're willing to take the hit on that prize pool if it's trying to cultivate a community for the game. And the prize pools are guaranteed. There's no, if X people show up, we're going to reduce it. Uh, I just sincerely believe that as I run these events, the community will come out to support them. I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's awesome. Um, it's sort of how some magic stores do it at the beginning if they need players or, or they still do it just to get players in the store. And I think like face is able to, at some events, be able to local event, throw a lot of store credit um, in terms of store credit, like for the for Elliot, for the prelims and the final, um, we were giving the players a sick deal this time around. Um, with like $500, I think they're each $500 events, and then it's a 1K final, something like that. But I, I thought it was challenging, uh, Manny, because like the Esports Central, when they're hosting, I think maybe because they don't come from a magic, uh, background, they, the price structure that they have for a lot of their events really, they take a lot from the entry because they see, it as like lost money, like how do I put it into words? Because you you pay for the hour when you're there to play other games on a regular day. So I've seen something like where you know you pay twenty bucks and only five dollars goes to the prize pool or something like that because they 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 feel like you know you're using their equipment fee. Um, yeah, um, for us we are really an event space first. Um, 
the use of computers for drop-in or net cafe use is definitely second. So whenever it comes to events, uh, the cost of using our space is not being taken into consideration at all when determining the entry to the tournament or the cost of the prizes. It's how can we deliver an awesome event experience to the players? And if we're making that happen, that's the real win. So we prioritize having larger prize pools and really making it so people aren't looking at these events as a negative value proposition. In every case so far, all of our events have been awesome from the terms of value and as well as how the event has actually played out. They're faster because the arena has no shuffling. There's rounds generally end around 40, 45 minutes and the event just moves at a good pace. Everybody's happy with how things go and it, it's just great. I'm love I'm loving the sound of it. I'm loving your approach to this. I, I hope I hope it grows. Because like I said, like here it's like why it's like why would I pay twenty bucks to play something I could play at home if five dollars goes to the price pool? I don't need it to be for me personally, I don't need it to be a crazy price structure. I could be lose losing, but I I don't want to be losing that much, right? So um I like where your mentality is at. Uh, when it comes to this stuff, and I'm I'm excited to see uh, locations grow and, and and your whole business, your your whole thing grow pop up. Yeah, honestly, it's I I just think there's so much potential in the space and kind of trying to make esports happen on a local level across Canada. And I'm glad that I get to be part of uh, the team that's doing that, not just for Magic, but really for all games. Uh, we've just held a awesome event in Burnaby this past weekend called Bash Fest. We have we had a 10,000 price pool Counter Strike tournament that was very successful and everybody had a great time. And we just announced today that we'll be doing a larger um, gaming expo in the Vancouver Convention Center in September. So there's just tons of exciting things on the horizon for us, and I'm really happy about all the things we have coming up and what we can do for this community what would you say are the the main games that you guys are hitting besides counter-strike i think think counter-strike is definitely the biggest in terms of uh, games that have embraced land play already uh rainbow six siege is another one that is extremely popular uh our personal communities we have really great ones for Fortnite and Teamfight Tactics and Rocket League. Um, so those are games that we focus on a decent amount. Um, but there's also games like League of Legends that we know the communities are there. And it's just a matter of figuring out the right types of events to appeal to them. And we haven't quite done that yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, I'm... I play casually, but it'd be cool to enter a tournament with like four of my friends and and try and try our best at it. Um, Andy, Andy, are you going to Dream DreamHack Atlanta? Are you interested? Uh, almost certainly not. But uh, <laughs> you love Arena the most here, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I just uh, it, me like uh, I guess like there is a PT qualification at the end of it, but. I like. I already like. Don't like traveling to GPs, so I just don't see myself traveling to to something like this. Especially because I would certainly be alone. I'd have to fly, and uh, 
I don't see it, but like if you're in the area, you should absolutely go because if you support these kind of events that are like really good value, that's how you get more of them. I, yeah, I, I feel like I've seen your tweets sorely progress to that. Where like you're you're like, why did I travel all the time after event? Why didn't I just stay home? <laughs> yeah, uh, the traveling it just it, it just wears you down, right? Like uh, when you do poorly and you like you know you like won't get to just go home and hang out with your friends or hang out with your significant other for like a day or two days, mm-hmm. you just kind of get bummed out. And then you feel worse about how you did because you've spent all the money, all the time traveling. But at, like sometimes on Magic Online, when I do poorly, I don't care at all. I just move on and do something else. I'm already at home. But uh, like I still feel the really like really good highs when I do well in Magic Online. So maybe for me at least, it's, it feels like it's kind of better for for my happiness in general. All right, let's let's get to you quickly about have you been jamming some Magic over the past week? Uh, I've been playing a little bit to prepare for the face-to-face games <laughs> trios tournament in Toronto, Ontario <laughs> on February 29th, which is a real day. Uh, and basically <laughs> playtesting all of my teammates' decks because they hate magic. And uh been playing a bit of modern, which I don't love it, but we certainly know what we're going to play in modern now, and I'm just going to play... Uh, inverter while they let me in pioneer and in legacy i think we're just going to let kale play whatever the hell he wants um did you get young devin giles on your team is that oh dg's on the team dg is on the team former world magic cup competitor devin giles (laughs) and what and like i mean you love just guy fire so what were you guys bringing to the standard table Oh, uh, there's no standard at this tournament, Carl. Oh, you yeah. cut it. I cut it. I forgot. <laughs> you cut it for dumb legacy. Well, I didn't personally cut it, but... Uh... Well, I think you did. Vicente. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's answer your question for legacy. Yeah, Perhaps yeah. it'll be a, a Rug Delver deck or, uh, or Grixis Delver for Kale, probably. He uh, has a lot of success with like the, the aggressive Delver strategies and he might be able to be convinced to try tossing an Oko in there. But his uh, his main thing was he's like, he's not, I'm not really sure how to play with Oko. I've never played with him before. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know. It just eventually kills them and makes all their creatures suck. <laughs> but uh, in modern, we're going to be playing uh, the Pascal Jeskai Breach deck. Oh, wow. Which uh, kind of broke it. I think he broke it. Uh, it's... The cards, like some of the cards in the deck, like grinding stations, are like doubled and tripled in price everywhere. They're really hard to find. And uh, I think the deck's the real deal. I played a league with it, barely knowing how it works, and I 5 0'd very easily, playing the mirror twice. And I think it's going to have a good, it's going to be a good weekend for it, that's for sure, before people figure out what's going on. P main broke the format. I actually think he did, which is, which is so 2009, you know? <laughs> yeah, he like did his old retirement tweet and whatever. Um, glad, to hear, <laughs> glad to hear that he broke it. Um, man, lost my maybe I should Maybe I should describe the deck. <laughs> so what the deck does, it's like a grinding station deck with Underworld Breach. And so grinding station, Underworld Breach, and any zero drop will uh, let you mill your whole deck. 
because the old mill three cards, and then you can recast the zero drop sack at mill three cards. And eventually you just want to get a fast Oracle in play and win the game. So if you have the extra two mana, you just cast a fast Oracle from your graveyard, similar to like the pioneer breach deck after it mills itself. And, uh, you can even make like a bunch of mana by having uh, like an Emery in play and Mox Amber and looping those. And then you could go from no extra mana, but have an Emery to getting the two mana from the Mox Ambers and then uh, Thassa's Oracle in them. So it's a bunch of new cards, once again, breaking formats. Like uh, Underworld Breach and Thassa's Oracle were made to not win the game re- like a regular fashion. And they've been doing a great job at uh, winning games that way. So yeah, you mentioned this weekend is going to be Team Trios in Toronto and also Modern in Quebec City FF Tour. Do you have any questions for Manny? Any? Uh, I think we uh, sort of sort of answered everything that I that I was going to ask him. I'm just uh, I'm just so glad he was doing so well. I'm always rooting for him. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met in the Canadian Magic community, and I'm really happy for you, Manny. Oh, thank you so much, man. Um, there was okay. I, I guess one topic that comes to mind, like recently on the Twitter, in the Twitter sphere, there was like some discussion about if ladder is good or not, and if it sucks or not. Even and then there's, I saw interaction between Crokies and and Alex Hain that you know, ladder might show who the best player is. Like it's rewarding, but at the same time, Alex like, well, the pro players aren't incentive, don't have incentives to grind for number one, so. We don't. It really doesn't mean anything. Um, Any, you know, you're nodding. You follow some of that stuff, and some people hate the ladder system because it's too grinding. Oh, I'm I'm online, Carl. I've read it all. <laughs> so, what, what's your take? What, what are the takes on, on online? All right. So, like, uh, it's tough. So they're they're both right in a way. So, like, uh, obviously, like the best pros in the world are not grinding the arena ladder that often. And uh, so, like, but if they were, they would very likely, like, be up at the top. But I think what he was trying to say that, like, let's say you spike a couple tournaments, it's, it's more likely, it's it's easier to figure out, like, who the really good players are if they're just constantly high up on the ladder. Because even, or, like, they obviously could just be sinking infinite time into it. But I think it still might be better than, like, someone who's top eighted, I don't know. They top eight a GP and then, like, do well at the Pro Tour once. Maybe more often the player who's like consistently like one and two in arena will be the better player. But I think uh, it's a little hard to tell because there's no incentive for like the best of the best to do it. So once again, the Twitterverse uh, has failed to see all the nuance in it and just slams one way or the other when it's kind of just a bit of both. And and Manny, Manny, who was number one? You hit number one on ladder, right? I did at some point this season. Now I'm like somewhere in the hundreds because Jeff Guy Fires is not good right now and I keep losing, but we ignore that. <laughs> at least you timed it all well. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy with exactly when this bad deck became popular. But Andy, would there be a way that you would tweak the system? Well, make it more awesome? So- so Manny gave me this the big brain idea, which I'm sure is something he's already thinking of. It's like it would be so sweet if I could like go to uh, like an one of those places like he's talking about the gaming stadium, 
or esports central and like playing like a tournament that qualifies you for like the arena ptq like just the ptq so instead of finishing like top a thousand in the ladder grind you could go to one of these tournaments and qualify that sounds way more appealing to me than like doing the grind like it would be really cool for me to like be able to just qualify that way and i would like consider go to one of these things where it's not something i would do normally in normal circumstances but once again like he said it's just the the qualification or the something you can't get from playing at home is really gonna bring people out and it gives the incentives to like bring more people so i, I would love to see that kind of thing while keeping while keeping the ladder as is yeah, it's like okay. mostly a simple change. Like how many of these qualifiers do you think like let's say they run, I don't know, 400 across the world. I'm not sure if that's even a reasonable amount. I have no clue. Small brain. But like it's not changing the the PTQ size significantly enough for me to like worry about the integrity of finishing top 1000 or whatever because there's already so much overlap from people finishing top 1000 one month and the next month they don't get two qualifications. So I think actually that might now the way it works. I don't know exactly how it works now, but um, I think it would add something without like hurting their current OP, so they wouldn't have to like change it all over again. Now what, I could see a world like this, maybe somewhere down the line, where more of these like more DreamHack events and more places like the gaming stadium opens up. Especially because there's not like that many places like that. It feels like a sweet bone Watsi could toss to these people who are like cultivating communities for their game, like at a cost to them. That's like low cost to Watsi. I think makes a lot of sense and would be a smart move if you're listening, Wizards of the Coast. If you're listening, Mr. Hasbro. <laughs> I could actually see this happen though. I could actually see this being part of their like plan in the future, actually. You're making me think. That'd be great. All right. I don't know. What else can we ask you, Manny? Anyone you want to shout out? Uh, really, I just, <laughs> again, the biggest thing is the gaming stadium, just because it, they were really supportive of sending me to DreamHack and participating in this tournament. And uh, everybody was kind of rooting me on um, from home while doing our big event. And just the work that I get to do with them and what we're doing um, for local gaming in Vancouver right now, but what we're planning on doing all across Canada in the next few years is just something that is so exciting for me and something I can't wait to kind of bring to more people. And I just love that they're really um, taking this initiative to do this. And it's just incredible. I mean, I, I love the fact that they that they sponsored your your trip and and everything, and they're a sponsor of yours. Um, I've, I was always curious, and maybe you could answer me as someone that's that's more way more into the esports world than I am. I see a lot of times these like small teams and organizations popping up and, and sponsoring a team. I mean, I just do you know how that stuff works at all? Like, I don't really understand their business model. At least you guys, like, you want to build your brand. Uh, people to visit uh, potentially many stadiums in the future. But some of these other organizations, I just don't get it. Um, it's, it's kind of difficult to say because 
each organization has more or less its own goals. Uh, for us, we have a brand we want to build. Um, but part of it is if you ever see uh, organizations just pick up players, um, it, it's possible that they're hoping they can leverage uh, a player's success or visibility um, into getting more sponsors because of it. Um, if you have a player signed to your brand that is consistently doing well and bringing eyes onto um, a brand, then you can turn that data to sponsors and say, hey, well, this is the kind of exposure we're getting. And you can try to get sponsors from it that way. I'm far from an expert on how player contracts go um, and how deals are made or what the reasoning behind picking up some players is. But I'll say that is one reason where you might see um, teams picking up players there where it otherwise wouldn't make sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Why uh, gaming per peripheral companies would, would sponsor certain players uh, that are doing really well. Like if they're always using, I don't know, a Razer keyboard and mouse, then then if I'm an aspiring player, I might go out and buy the same setup. Yeah, if this person's succeeding with our gear, why can't you, right? That's kind of the dream that you try to sell people. It's the same reason that sports companies uh, sponsor athletes is, hey, this soccer player plays in Nike shoes. You should go get some Nike shoes, right? It's just when you see people at the top of their field using certain gear, you want to use that gear because if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. <laughs> me and Annie, like Annie can't see me, but I'm nodding the same exact uh, movement. I think like what I don't get is like the, the smaller teams, right? The more local. I think maybe they're just trying to do what like I did when I started Mana Deprived. I didn't have like a business aspiration. I just wanted to have a team and feel good about it um, because I don't Support see like... people, right? Right, right. I don't know. Like for us, I, I would definitely say that we're trying to build our brand, but again, the gaming stadium's entire, uh, our goal, our manifesto is cultivate local gaming um, because esports is thriving at the top level. Um, there, that doesn't need cultivation. Uh, right. The pro scenes are doing great, but it's esports at a local level. The people that are, aspiring to go pro, the people that are looking for coaching services, the people that are looking for just a place to hang out and play with their friends, people that just want to play their first tournament, but there's no tournaments to play for their game. That's what we're trying to cultivate. And I think that's not an abnormal concept to want to see people succeed and want to see that kind of uh, growth in your local scene. Um, so it makes perfect sense to me to just have people that are trying to make something happen just for the sake of supporting their local scene. I love it. I'm just, uh, you just make me want to root uh, for your success and hope to grow like the local e sports gaming, uh, community, uh, in your, in your area and in other areas. Um, like it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, and then with that, I think, I think. I want to thank you for your time, Manny, again, for coming on. And uh, I guess it'll be a while because you won't be playing as much. But uh, anything else that you want to quickly mention? The floor is yours. No, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. It's always a pleasure chatting with um, you, Andy, and Elliot. Uh, I don't think we've met, but 
it was awesome chatting all the same. And yeah, thank you for just um, giving me a space to kind of talk about the event and also what we're doing. Um, for me, just getting to spread the word about the gaming stadium is really cool and I, I'm always happy to do it. And like I said, I'm going to have some articles going up on the website. So I will happily um, encourage people to go check those out as well when they're up. Sweet, sweet. Thanks for your time, Manny. Guys, thanks so much. Have a great night. You too. It was Manny Davuti, second place at DreamHack in Anaheim. Winner of 15K USD, as he said. What a boss. Almost 130K, almost 130K, but 15K, not too shabby. Um, I, I would be elated to, to be in his spot and, and win uh, 15K. Anything else for, for you guys, Elliot, that happened this weekend in the world of magic? Uh, I just want to offer two comments on something we've already talked about, which was that Twitter drama about the ladder versus big tournaments. Uh, and that it's just, I'm going to offer these two things and present them without comment, which is at DreamHack, the first place and second place players were number one on and number two on the arena leaderboard <laughs> going into the tournament. <laughs> and the second thing I'll present is that I believe currently, as we're recording this, number one on the ladder is Logan Nettles, who got to number one by winning, by reaching second, winning a match, and then they had to win 10 straight matches to pass the person who was at number one at the time. That's how competitive it is at the very tippy top of the leaderboard. And I guess the third extra rider on that is that, you know, Manny mentioned he's probably in the hundreds now. I bet he didn't lose that many matches to go from from number uh, two and and higher to drop to the hundreds. You lose so many points when you when you lose at that rank, especially when you get to uh, like if you get paired against a percentage mythic player and you're high on the later board, you drop so much because it's an elo based system. So that's all I'll say. Fair. Do you think this is the greatest system? Uh, I mean, ELO-based systems tend to do a really good job of allowing the cream rise to the crop. I don't know if monthly uh, resetting ladders are necessarily the best way to have the cream 100% of the time rise to the top. If you look at like the MTG ELO project, which has been tracking them going back pretty much the history of Pro Tours and Grand Prix, um, the leader right now, I believe, is Alan Wu, who obviously... like. You know, plays out of his mind. Has been playing at a high level for a very long time. I I've pulled up the stats now. His he's seven more than seventy points clear of Austin Bursevich, who has like two PT top eights in a row, and his GP win rate seventy point five percent, which is just like mind boggling high over his three hundred match sample size. So, uh, you know, like that's the kind of things that Elo system will show you. Like, there's a reason Magnus Carlson is number one on on the chess Elo system is because, you know, he went. Over a hundred matches in a row without losing once against the top players in the world. Like Elo will show you the best players over a large enough sample. I maybe a month isn't enough time to necessarily show that, but you know there's a reason we keep having the best players perform high at the arena ladder, leaderboard and then are able to translate it to paper, obviously, or not paper, but major tournaments either way. So to to my knowledge, the more well. How Elo worked in chess is like the more games you played, the the lower at some point the lower the K value goes, so that 
it doesn't shift as much uh, if you lose. And I guess the K value is always still really high on Arena. Is that a fair assumption? Because of how far you can drop just by losing one match? Yeah, I, I might have been wrong to call it an ELO system, but I know that it's at the very least ELO-like. Um, you know, obviously there's like a billion rating systems that are in the same vein of ELO in terms of gaining points, losing points, and they may have a very high K value. Um, I know that for Magic, um, once you've played, or uh, sorry, the MTG ELO project, which is not necessarily mega official, but there comes a point where the most you can possibly lose is 25 points. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily the same for for chess, but you know, I'm 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 going to eat my words. I'm looking through Alan Wu's history. He lost to a player he was more than 700 points higher than, and lost 30 points. <laughs> and whenever he beats people that are, you know, within 100 rating of him, he gets 12. So like that's how swinging in Elo. Right. We're having Manny chime in that it's Glico or Glico, one of the two. Uh, Again, that system is very similar to ELO. Maybe it's more swingy than like a high K value ELO system would be. I haven't been paying attention, but do they actually show who the top X players are on, on the ladder now? Or no? Is this like from you guessing? I think you have to be mega plugged in and follow people on the Twitter. Okay. Do you think they you should? Be online. Do you think they should though, Andy? Uh, yes, but I haven't thought of any consequences of like doing the thing. I think, yeah, sure. I guess the consequence would be they would have to do the work, and I don't know if they want to do that. Yeah, what if I hit number one and then my boss sees it? I mean, <laughs> you can just use another account name. <laughs> Ellie, um, are you Dunk Icon there as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I have good branding on like Andy underscore Peters. <laughs> oh, Andy underscore Peters is dead. It's Andy Awkward everywhere, baby. I've been following the well. I've been, I haven't. It slowed down my TFT playing, but their system, like when you hit challengers and LP system, and you can look them up on on sites because they have an API. And I think what I like about their system is that you don't get, I guess, punished as hard for losing. And I think it's good for branding. I feel like whenever it's Reddit or YouTube videos, some guy's like, I'm a top 10 player. You know, this is my guide or whatever. I think that really draws eyes or there's been two sets already. So they're like two-time top 10 NA challenger. And I feel like like there should be something like that or you can't like lose number one so easily. So you could say like you're the number one player in the world read my next article or whatever, or five time, five time, five time, number one player, Manny Davuti or something. Um, would be interesting. People, people love to like put that stuff in their like Twitter bio and not just their bio, but like the background page. Like so many people got famous on Twitch or in like the magic communities for being trophy leaders. Yeah. And, like there's actual no value in being the trophy leader. <laughs> so, but people know how much it matters for like clout. To yeah. be like, uh, like just to have it up there that you're the trophy leader in your, uh, like, uh, whatever you call it, the background. So, like, it's a similar thing with this. So, people just, like, have the picture of, like, number one on Arena. And so, I don't know. It'd be cool to have, like, a final standings of each season so you could, like, post your stats in your bio. Because that's, I don't know, it's really cool when people yeah. do really well with that kind of stuff. And, like, 
I don't know. It's probably good for Watsi to have people have better brands in Magic, especially people who clearly play it a lot. Yeah. Like, or, or I know there's some people who, who are really happy to be back-to-back number one limit. I think Sigris might have done it once or or some other player have, have done it uh, a few well, times. Well, the, the Ham TV who we is now a, <laughs> a board, almost friend of the show. We have to get him on at this point because we talk about it every week. He was number one and number two at one point in Limited and also the trophy leader on Moto. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is sick. That is actually sick. <laughs> it's like, who's the, second best? The number one and two in Limited thing is actually outrageous. He just like made a second account just so he could show everyone how much better he is than everyone else in drafting. I mean, that, like, I want to hear that stuff, right? That type of stuff. That makes me, like, that adds a, an extra aura around this That's guy. That's the now. hype, dude. Yeah. We get to tell that story and talk about Ham TV like he's some sort of god, like in a half whisper. <laughs> Ham TV. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best limited player on the planet right now. Just Kyle so. Rose for Hoff. <laughs> um, but I know, like, I know before they canned the rating system, because like, the story I kept hearing was like they didn't want the bad players to feel too bad about themselves. And I don't know how true that was. I, I guess it's true. Well, a lot of the like the the players with poor ratings didn't care about their ratings or ever looked them up. Right. But the the whole problem was that it just there was like incentive to be like high rated to qualify for nationals so like people once they hit a rating that they're comfortable with we're just like not allowed to play magic i remember like going to like an lgs and being like hey i'll draft with you guys if you don't sanction it <laughs> right right remember that. Or i'll show up to fnm and i'll like get paired against a friend round one they'll scoop to me and then i drop because i can't risk playing against someone who doesn't like isn't on the, in the know you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I remember the national stuff, qualifying for nationals, and, and Rob Anderson was there at GP Providence with me. And he's like... Yeah, so that, that feeling was actually terrible. So, like, <laughs> I'm glad it's gone in that sense. I think he played himself out of that or something. All right. Um, I think that's it. Anything uh, else from you, Andy? I uh, personally guarantee a Team Trio's victory. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear that guarantee. Any events for you, uh, Elliot, this weekend? Uh, no, I think I'm going to take it easy this weekend and maybe do some preparing for the Festival du Magic Montreal, something like that, the the following weekend. Got a, got a pretty great team together for their Team Modern event. And um, despite me pitching 3x Neoform maybe a bit too early, uh, it was shot down regardless. So we're going to play some real Magic decks instead. Three, so it's what, three times modern? Uh, yeah, three times modern, non-unified team event. 5K up top. Are you going to uh, Pascal's deck? No, I'm not smart enough to to play a, a deck that plays Emery. <laughs> I'm probably, probably going to play the Turbo Druid deck, to be honest. I'm still really happy with that deck, and I think that... Um, it's usually favored against these decks that are, are trying to kill you as fast as they possibly can. So if people are going to be playing the Pascal deck, which is a full turn slower than the Devoted Druid deck, and Amulet, which is, again, a full turn or two slower than the Devoted Druid deck, that's exactly where I want to be. And I'm hoping that people 
forget that Croxa Jund exists because it's heinous, but they'll kill me. <laughs> all right. Um, for me and the rest of the guys, uh, we will see you all next week, hopefully with John. And have a, have a good weekend. Have a nice good luck in your tournaments, everyone. Ciao.